This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. In just a few moments... We will discuss the suppressed history of American banking, how big banks fought Jackson, killed Lincoln, and caused the Civil War. A bit of a Canadian connection to the War of 1812, which we all learned in school. Uh, Xavier Hayes uh, will be with us uh, to discuss. Just a reminder, get on up to the website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Take a few moments and uh, explore. Lots going on there. If you go to the radio page for this program, The Conspiracy Show, there is a blue members button on the left-hand side. Click that and register. Become a member. It's worth it. It's free, it's fast, and it's uh, real easy to sign up, and that gains you access to members-only areas. And also, please, while you're on strangeplanet.ca, my last reminder, go to the live events page. The, um, the next live event is fast approaching, Saturday, October the 15th. That's really coming quick. Last time, last opportunity, really, to get tickets, and that is for Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Rock and Roll Myths, Legends, and Curses, and that's with uh, our Gary Patterson, and we'll have uh, several special guests joining us by Skype, and that's at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium. Once again, go to the live events page, strangeplanet.ca, and you can order your tickets. Uh, you can purchase your tickets right there. Saturday, October the 15th. Hope to see you there. All right, let's get into the suppressed history of American banking. In this startling investigation into the suppressed history of America in the 1800s, Xavier Hayes reveals how the powerful Rothschild banking family and the central banking system, now known as the Federal Reserve Bank, provide a continuous thread of connection between the War of 1812, the Civil War, the financial crisis of the 1800s, and assassination attempts on President Jackson and Lincoln. Xavier Hayes is a researcher of ancient manuscripts and alternative history, exploring and documenting, documenting his findings on lost cities and the myths of the pre-Diluvian world. He's the co-author of The Suppressed History of America, and he lives in South Beach, Florida. Xavier Hayes, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? 
I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. And you, you weathered Hurricane Matthew all right, I trust? Oh, man, I left there. I left before it even got there. <laughs> you you bugged I, out early. Good for you. Yep. Good for you. And everyone, you, your friends, family are safe and sound? Everyone is safe. Excellent. Good to know. All right. Um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, central banking uh, here on the program and uh, how money is, is uh, or fiat money, the creation of fiat money, really has been used throughout history and continues to be used as a tool to uh, manipulate and and uh, some might even go so far as to say enslave humankind. Um, but let's talk about from the American perspective, and that is the the attempt to establish central banks before the Federal Reserve happened in 1913. We had a number of central banks in the United States. But take me back before the creation of a central bank. Uh, and I, and I, I would imagine this would go back to the 13 colonies perhaps, but how did they, how did they issue their money? What was money like pre-central bank in the United States? I mean, basically it was issued with, uh, by themselves. I mean, it was uh, their own currencies, and a lot of it had to do with barter and, you know, gold and silver. Uh, but, you know, the, the actual American Revolution was the fight pretty much against having a central banking uh, system, you know, against having the king and everything else. Uh, but they still were successful in, in creating that because Hamilton, you know, was able to convince uh, George Washington during the revolution, you know, that's the way to pay for the war. Right. They had to, and they had to pay, basically. So, uh, you know, there was the, the establishment of the central bank after the revolution in order so, to pay for, in order to pay for you know the massive in order incurred. to pay for revolutions so right. leading up into the war of 1812 uh which was basically a forgotten war and it was pretty much the american revolution part two <laughs> it was you know a short little break and then uh the english were back at it again uh and a lot of it stemmed because the charter for the continuation of the central bank was up Right. And I don't want to get too far ahead yet. I don't want to get into the, the, the War of 1812 quite yet, but I, we will get there. Just let me remind uh, listeners, Xavier Hayes is with us. The book is The Suppressed History of American Banking, How Big Banks Fought Jackson, Killed Lincoln, and Caused the Civil War. So we were talking about um, a, a pre-revolutionary America, the colonies, and they had their own colonial script. And so it was backed by gold and silver. Is that the idea originally? Yeah, that was the original idea, yes. So... I guess one of the rationales that that, that um, Alexander Hamilton uh, proposed, and there is a sort of a line of thinking here that, that to a certain degree makes sense, and that is if you can extend credit, then you can um, then you can take on massive infrastructure projects too. For example, uh, I believe Alexander Hamilton was very instrumental in in building the Erie Canal uh, and th- and things like that. So, yes. and, and that th- and th- that would have been sort of beyond the means of the colonists at the time because you can only spend so much money that's backed by gold, only as much gold as you have. So right. there, I guess, I mean, you, one could argue in the early development of the United States, um, perhaps, I don't know, you tell me, but perhaps a, a case could be made that a central bank or at least fiat money was necessary. How would you respond to that? It would be necessary if the control maintained and was, you know, within 
the Congress or within the actual uh, the colonies of the United States. You know, not you know, the problem is not really the, the I, I think the central banking uh, system, so to speak, is is how it's used by a certain amount, certain few to gain control. So if you have foreign, you know, foreign elements supplying money for a new nation, uh, you know, he controls the money, controls basically right. everything else. So, right. So that I mean, I think that is, in essence is the danger. What you're saying, you know, makes you know, on what Hamilton was proposing, yeah, it kind of makes sense. But uh, Hamilton himself you know, worked for those foreign banks. Right. For example, up here in Canada, I don't know if, you, if you're too familiar with our situation, but we have the, the Bank of Canada, uh, which uh, back in the 1930s, it was actually nationalized uh, by uh, Prime Minister William um, Lyon Mackenzie King. And so it is a sort of our central bank, but the Canadian citizens are sort of the shareholders. However, we, we no longer use the central bank, uh, the, <laughs> the Bank of Canada, as it was intended. We, it was intended that we could borrow from it. All levels of government in Canada could borrow from it at zero or low interest. That's how we paid for our war effort during the Second World War. That's how we built the St. Lawrence Seaway. That's how we paid for Medicare. So that's kind of an interesting, interesting contrast. Um, yeah. However, as I say, we, we no longer use the Bank of Canada the way it's intended. We now go to international lenders. Uh, right. So the, 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 the first central bank charter was, was granted by the United States after the Revolutionary War by Washington in order to pay for the Revolutionary War. So who held that first charter? Which bank? Or who controlled uh, it? I mean, essentially it was controlled by the Rothschild. The Rothschild family, yeah. sure. Yeah. But I mean, it. I think they had a uh, Nicholas Biddle, uh, the one who kind of was their main prodigy. As, and I said, I mean, after, after Hamilton was killed, basically, you know, <laughs> he moved down the chain. But uh, yeah, Biddle, you know, who I talked about in the first first book, uh, the Suppressed History of America, which focused on you know the, the Lewis and Clark expedition and uh, the murder, you know, of Meriwether Lewis. Uh, Biddle had a major part in making sure the the journals and you know what you know what possibly if anything that Lewis had been writing or that you know it, he basically was overseeing the the editing of the journals uh, to to the extent of you know controlling the information. Right. So right. This, this is and this is the same guy who. Uh, later on, becomes, you know, pretty much the the biggest banker here. You know, representing the the Rothschilds. So it's, it's it's interesting because you mentioned Biddle, and 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 today we have uh, endowments, things like the Ford Endowment and the Carnegie Foundation, which also sort of control the issue, you know the, the textbooks and how history is being written. So uh, we just have history being history repeating itself. Xavier Hayes is with us. The the suppressed history of American banking: how big banks fought Jackson, killed Lincoln, and caused the Civil War. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Uh, so the the uh, the charter was there was there great debate about uh, the uh, the the issuance of that first central banking charter particularly because it was foreign foreign controlled it's essentially out of london england right yeah i mean you know most of the founding fathers were opposed to it and they remained opposed to it mm -hmm. uh, uh yeah they they were aware of what was going on 
and they and they understood that like the army, you know, one thing fighting wars, but fighting the invisible war against the bankers, they understood that has even a bigger a bigger threat. A very famous quote attributed to, to Thomas Jefferson, although I don't know whether it's actually ever been verified that he said it, but uh, the quote goes something like, you'll know it better than I do probably, but uh, um, you know, central banks are more powerful than standing armies. Did he in fact say that? Do you know? I believe so. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, uh, I've used that quote, and I have a pretty good publisher, so I think... <laughs> I think that that was that was verified for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, he basically said that uh, if we allow, continue to allow the central banking system, the you know the ancestors of the revolution, you know, they, they will be like basically homeless. Right, right. I mean, if, the, the irony here is just overwhelming. They 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 beat King George the Third. They cast off the yoke of of British imperial rule. In the colonies, uh, and yet uh, they end up paying for the they end up paying interest on the debt uh, and the principal uh, back to to England. That's called winning the battle but losing the war, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, it, you know the 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 amazing thing is that they won in the first place, actually. So, uh, and they won because of the mixture of guerrilla warfare that they learned from the Native Americans. And just because they had to use tactics that, you know, to that point weren't really acceptable, I guess, in in, in the way wars were fought in those times. Uh, but they did it, and, and, you know, they won, even if it meant killing you on Christmas Day or whatever, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so, so, so and, but the problem with that, of course, is, you know, how uh, afterwards, because, you know, it was a long you know, 1776, it was a long ways to go afterwards, you know. Sure. People don't, don't even uh, remember or even think about those periods. Uh, so, yeah, you have the fight against that system, uh, but I think it's kind of necessary to get to the point, you know, once you get up into the War of 1812 and, and so on, uh, those those sort of conditions created themselves, you know, those economic conditions and the way... Uh, everything was at that time, especially in the North, which was a lot different. Right. So, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we're coming up on a break here, and we'll, um, we'll come back and discuss the War of 1812. We'll also talk about uh, President Jackson, good old, was it Stonewall Jackson, right? And um, he certainly uh, fought the, uh, the Central Bank. He sort of ran on that. That was uh, sort of the, the be-all and the end-all of his presidential campaign. And uh, we'll We'll also talk about the Civil War, the, uh, the assassination of Lincoln, whether there may have been a connection there to the, uh, the Central Bank. Back with more of my conversation with Xavier Hayes right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. 
Xavier Hayes stays with us. The suppressed history of American banking, how big banks fought Jackson, killed Lincoln, and caused the Civil War. So uh, let's talk about the War of 1812, uh, which, you know, up here in Canada, um, you know, we like to say, well, we won. You know, we went, we went down there and we, we uh, set fire to the White House and, and so forth, although, that, you know, Canada wasn't Canada then. Um, but <laughs> yeah. That was the British. Um, but what role, uh, I mean, how was, how was the United States sort of cornered into fighting that war, if in fact that is sort of the, uh, the, the, uh, the thesis? Basically what happened with the War of 1812, which is another miracle, <laughs> you know, how, how we won that is incredible as well, but uh, the War of 1812 was brought, about, brought upon by the fact that... Wait a second, I uh, thought we won that. <laughs> <laughs> we could argue about that all night, that's all right. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. the thing is, the, the War of 1812... Which was horrible, and mm. and and very 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 bad. I mean, just I mean that was Britain striking again, right? It was it was recognized the banking system, recognizing the the charter was coming to an end, right? Right. Uh, so that was all in in there, you know, all those instances, and it was the time to strike. So uh, that's that's pretty much you know how many people. You, I don't know if you saw the Mark Dice clip about 9/11, you know, like the 15th anniversary. Mark Dice segment. Uh, yeah, yes. And, he, and he's just asking people, you know, who basically asking about 9/11, and people are so retarded nowadays they don't even they don't even have a clue, right? Yeah, those man in the street interviews. Uh, the, yeah, the, mo- the most recent one he did. He he asked people. Uh, he he was telling people that uh, President Kennedy died today. Do you have anything to say to his widow? <laughs> See exactly. exactly. It is tragic. So, it is tragic. It's, it's it's horrible. I can't even understand or believe it. It's it's twilight zone to me. So, uh, yeah. So the war of eighteen twelve. I'm sorry, I kind of got you off on a on a yeah, tangent it's there. Fine. Well, basically, like if they don't know what happened on nine eleven, how are they going to know that the White House was burned down by the British in eighteen twelve? You know, right? Uh, well, mean, you're right. It is the forgotten war. It is. It's it's a blip in history. It is, and it was incredible. It was a lot of a lot of a lot of raping, a lot of pillaging, a lot of killing, a lot of a lot of bad stuff happening. Right. You know? uh, but the, the funny thing is, is that the the, the unseen force, you know, the, the, that that whatever that is, the, the the unknown factor, so you know, so to speak, uh, sends that crazy like a hurricane or storm to to route out the British, you know, to remove them from D.C. in that area, from Philadelphia. Uh, and then what makes Andrew Jackson, I think it was, I think Stonewall Jackson was a Confederate. Uh, You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. I think uh, Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson. Hickory. Correct. Thank you. Yeah. Old Hickory. So um, basically he became a prominent American uh, figure after the victory of New Orleans. So, which was pretty much saved, you know, saved the whole country. Right, uh, right. They're coming up through, up there, through New Orleans, and he, Andrew Jackson, was able to gather, you know, free blacks, pirates, anyone he could, anyone who, who uh, wanted to defend, wanted to, uh, basically, it was like the last stand, you know. 
and they won. You know, thank God it was only a couple hundred people, and they were able to defeat the British and uh, basically turn the tide of the war. Right, and so the but the charter the charter was renewed anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, how it did was that renewed. happen? How did that happen? Well, it was renewed, but it was only for a little while, and and they knew uh, basically because the war like, again, they, the debt, everything else. Like so, they were there. It was basically the same scenario as as, as the revolution. Right. Uh, uh, but but when they did that, it basically you know, alerted Andrew Jackson to to what, you know, to what was going on. Because now, he, he, you know, he fought the Indian Wars. You know, he was a hero, you know, the Battle of New Orleans. And now he was going to be, you know, he was going to run for president. You know, like he was like, okay, now, now, uh, now we're going to get, get it going. And, and, uh. Right. The year he ran was, now we're talking about the 1820s. So this is a few years after the War of 1812. Yeah. And now the charter again is coming up for renewal and he runs on a no central bank, um, campaign essentially. Yeah, basically he 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 ran the first time um, on that on a no. I'm gonna kill the banks, and they basically rigged it against him. And everyone pretty much was like, "Oh, okay, this thing is a." He, he basically doing what Trump's doing, you know, <laughs> showing kind of showing how rigged the whole system is. Uh, so when they had to do it again, and they're really worried, and he really ran on that effect to the point where I'm gonna kill the banks and. He actually did, but when the, the first time he ran and lost, and you say they rigged it, it's, it's there's some interesting parallels between what happened then and and uh, you know the uh, this is one of the dirtiest presidential campaigns in history. But they it's you know oh, they yeah. were they were dirty back then too because uh, they made a big deal out of the fact that Jackson had what they called a frontier wedding. Yep, and there's some so there was some um, because he married a woman in the frontier. I guess there was some question as to whether they were legally married and whether she had been divorced from her first. So yeah, so basically they were calling him yeah they were calling him an, an adulterer and and so right, forth. Right. So yeah, I mean it was pretty dirty back then too. Yeah, it's always been dirty. And the thing is, like he was the first frontier president as well. Like he wasn't a blue blood. You know, this was this was like basically like Trump running. I'm not really like Trump, because Trump is not a war hero. Well, he, an outs- in terms of being an outsider. In terms of being an outsider, exactly. Uh, and, you know, uh, you know, Jackson was a Mason, you know, which... They all were. They all, they all were. were. <laughs> they all were, you know. It's, it's, it's amazing, too, because there actually was an anti-Masonic party right? yes. that was running. It was the first time, like, during this whole thing, this is the first time that a, like a third member, like a third, you know... Because uh, Jackson, I think, was the first Democrat, so he was. Uh, he was. I think his party was like one of the first Democratic parties, and uh, and then you had the anti-Masonic party emerge because they were, you know, like I give them props because they were kind of speaking out against these, you know, Illuminati type, uh, these you know Masonic type control figures, slave owning figures, right? So uh, that was pretty interesting. You know, all this was going on, uh, but Jackson had the people, you know, because he was a war hero. He was one of them. He was uh, the first guy to ride a, you know, president guy to ride a train, you know, things like an incredible amount of firsts. Right, right. Andrew Jackson had. And uh, so the people, you know, he really had, he really had the the people on the side, you know, like the populist movement, I guess they would say. Right. They would call it, right? And, uh, yeah, and, and 
So basically, the first one, rigs, kind of exposed how the whole thing was rigged. And then, then the rematch, you know, the gloves were off and basically battered, battered them pillar to post because all they had, I think, was the Henry Clay or they just had Stooges, just, you know, do your typical front men for the banks. Right. Uh, and, and to what extent did the central banks run Washington? I mean, little has changed probably in that regard. But back then, for example, were, were, were members of Congress, um, you know, were they owned by the banks, essentially? Pretty much. I mean, uh, I don't think anything has really changed in, in that regard. Right. Uh, you know, like, I think Congress has always had, like, a low approval rating for that. <laughs> for, oh, absolutely. For that, for that reason. But how does he end the, 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 did he need to get, did he, did he end the charter by executive order, or did he have to go through Congress? How did that work? Yeah, he had, he had to get the right people, like, the right, okay, here, here, here's how it works, basically. And it's true no matter where you go and what time period it is. If you want to make change, you have to be able to get, the, the people who are actually in the positions of power that are part of that club that no longer, you know, want to kind of be with that club, so to speak. Right. It has to come from within that. So he, he Jackson was like smart and, luck, smart and lucky enough to have uh, people of, of power that were part of those, those clubs, you know, uh, to, to see where he was kind of going to, to, because you're going to need help. You're always going to need help from, from the big guy. So he, he got yeah. some former insiders to, sw- to, him, switch, yeah, exactly. to switch sides. He convinced them. He, he convinced, yeah. I think one of the power, a big power guy in New York, can't, you know, I'm sorry if I can't remember the name, but it's in the book. But basically, yeah, he, he was able to get one of those powerful New York guys on the side. And that was how he was able to convince Congress and get everyone on board to, you know, to ending that, uh, the Rothschild rule, right? Central banking rule. So they once the charter ends and uh, the the issuance of money is no longer controlled uh, by London, then the United States reverts back to what um, uh, gold? A gold standard is the money backed yeah. by it's it's backed by gold again. Exactly, and the problem right. was like the Rothschilds still owned all the gold, so they they had to to figure out. <laughs> how to issue currency, how to do it themselves without, because basically as soon as it happens, uh, you know, they, everything crashes, right? Right. Like Brexit, you know, like, oh, you know, they, 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 they fear monger you, and then you leave, and then it crashes anyways, because it's all rigged, uh, and then it kind of evens back out. Um, same thing with this, you know, once... And once they remove the, the, the Federal Reserve, right? Then, then yeah, same thing happened to Argentina in the early '80s when they oh, were yeah, I remember they that. were pegged to the U.S. dollar, and they decided, well, we're, we're going to go our own. And uh, immediately they uh, again a huge crash, and it was rough for about two three years. But then they had this an economic miracle. I mean, they're they're yeah. back into a huge bust cycle again. But for a time, right. Argentina was uh, was going gangbusters after they left the U.S. U.S. dollar. Um, so let's because there's so much ground to cover here, but I want to talk. We we have to talk about Jackson's death and the suspicions uh, surrounding his death. Uh, what was the official uh, cause? Um, because he was it shortly after his second inauguration, he died, or just set me right on the history there. Well, Jackson survived uh, assassination attempts. So so when the um, 
you know, when they were, when he was opposed, when they were fighting, when the, the Rothschild banking system was fighting to renew, you know, they sent a couple of assassination attempts to kill him. And one was, was, I mean, basically point blank, like the guy had misfired like twice, <laughs> you know, crazy things. Uh, that wasn't the duel, was it? He, cause he, he fought a duel. He, yeah, well, well, as I say, he fought over a hundred duels. So yeah, I mean, he got, he, he fought a duel where he got blasted like right in the chest and it stayed, the bullet lodged, stayed in there. And it, 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 when he breathed like a heavy breath, he, like, it would like rattle. So. Right, and Jackson, yeah, and occasionally, you know, throughout the rest of his life, he would cough up blood because they never, they never removed that bullet. So, were these British agents then that had uh, that had uh, yes, challenged were, him to duels? These were British agents, basically Rothschild agents, you know, with a typical lone wolf, crazy, you know, mind control type assassins. Basically, like they they still use, you know, they've always been a useful tool. Um, so that way, when it go, if it goes down and doesn't go correctly, uh, you know, they're, they're, you can't really trace them. Yeah, plausible deniability. Right. Okay. So how did they get him in the end? Well, Jackson got them. I mean, he killed the bank. It was on his headstone, I killed the bank. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, but the problem was, you know, over time, he, his, like, hero, his cult hero status soured, and he became just, you know... Mm, his popularity waned basically because afterwards everything sucked, man. Like you know, the money, the system, like, everything crashed. Everything was horrible. The jobs were horrible. Right, locked uh, out of the international money market once. Yeah, that so it's it's pretty crappy for for right. I think almost a decade, like a long time. It was so people kind of blamed him, you know. Was, was uh, there not some que- we we have to break again? And I'll ask you this now. Maybe we can pick it up on the other side, though. I thought there was some question as to whether Jackson may have been poisoned. Um, and um, that may be another another chapter for another time. But we'll uh, we'll talk about uh, the suppressed history of American banking with Xavier Hayes on the other side. Stay with us here on the Conspiracy Show. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Xavier Hayes is my guest, and the book is The Suppressed History of American Banking, How Big Banks Fought Jackson, Killed Lincoln, and Caused the Civil War. And uh, this is uh, Bear & Company, is the publisher. How do people get a hold of the book? I think Amazon's always the best way. Amazon it is, yep. Uh, Baron Company. They, they're great publishers. A lot of great, uh, a lot of great authors come uh, come my way from Baron Company. And uh, yeah, I'm exa- honored to be on there. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, I, I wanted to ask you just tie this up with Jackson. Was there some speculation as to whether he may have been poisoned in the end? Yeah, I think there was, but basically, I mean, he 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 had so many injuries and he had lived such a hard life that uh, you can really, you know. Dying of 
a mixture of illnesses, I think was kind of common back then. Right, right. So, so you yeah. can, I don't think they could tell one way or the other. I don't. I mean, why would you want to poison him anyways? Like, in, he'd already won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Way after. Yeah, yeah. It was way after the fact, and he won. Right. And, no, I, I seem know. to recall uh, something on the History Channel where they exhumed Jackson and they and they found evidence of strychnine in his bones or something. Anyway, that's uh, that's another show for another time. <laughs> uh, so, as you mentioned, after the after they uh, they cut the apron strings. Um, and severed ties with the central bank. Hard times for the United States for about a decade because, again, uh, like we mentioned, Argentina in the early 80s when, they're, when they were no longer pegged to the U.S. dollar. Now they have to sort of crawl their way out of that hole. But after they did, uh, it was boom time in America for a while, right, without a central bank. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, basically, once they got out of the hole, yeah, it was good. Times were times were good again um, until you know, I guess the Civil War. Right, right, and so then we need to obviously this is a, this is a short segment, but we'll we'll begin this discussion now. Um, and the evidence I mean, this is long uh, discussed uh, throughout history, and that is how Lincoln discovered that uh, the um, the central bank and the financiers in London were essentially financing both sides, the Confederates and the Union side, uh, in this war. But how did they, um, I mean, it's one thing for a bank to to fund both sides in a war, but but how how does a central bank manage to foment that war, if in in fact that is what what happened? How did they get the North and South to collide? Well, I mean, yeah, the French French arm of the Rothschild supplying the uh, the arms and, and the and the you know the gold and silver to the south, while you had the you know the brothers on the English side taking care of the north. Uh, I think the whole thing was about getting it to uh, you know getting they knew they had to get rid of that that free that free labor you know uh, and with the industrialization of the north, so they had to figure out. Uh, how to fight, like you said, how to play them off, how to how to how to fight this, how to get permission, basically, because <laughs> they you know they wanted to invade basically the, the north and the south. They just you know, have them fight, table scraps, you know, and then they come in and clean up. Basically, that was their whole plan. Right. Uh, and you know, I think how they got the, got them to fight was basic divide and rule. You know, with the issue with slavery. Right. Right. And at what point did Lincoln sort of come to this conclusion? Did I mean, did he write about this? Did he make it known? Did he write it in his diary or a journal somewhere? Aha, I figured it out. The, you know, the, 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 the banks are funding both sides. Well, there's no real, uh, yeah, you know, like, eureka moment in that sense. Uh, but I think with how the war was going and how they saw the, the, the relation with, you know, basically if you went to, uh, I think Russia, I think it was the Tsar. One of the Tsars was the one who kind of, uh, saved, saved him in the sense that, you know, I think he was the one who let him know what was going on uh, right. with, with, with how it was working and what, cause they came in there kind of helped out. 
basically, you know? That's right. That's yeah. another forgotten chapter of history. Yeah, no one even knows. Yeah, yeah the, the Russian that. fleet. The Russian fleet. The Russian fleet, exactly. So I think he was hit to the, to, to the scam that way and then with, you know, within the Congress and then within, you know, I mean, these were intelligent. And, and some even say that, that Lincoln might have been even like Rothschild, like a, like a love child, like his, you know, his mother was like the maid or something, right? Hmm. So he might have even been uh, knowing things that we don't, uh, we're not even aware that he was hip to, right? So, right, right. So, so you know, figuring out that we need to, because maybe he just went back in history and was looking at what you know Washington was talking about, or you know, or Jefferson, and, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Jefferson. Yeah, it's like wait a minute, like, and, and so basically they came up with the greenback. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Let me just uh, jump in here. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll talk about uh, the assassination of Lincoln and whether that was tied to, uh, again, his attempt to circumvent the central bank and issue, as you mentioned, the greenback, uh, which is not, uh, it's debt-free money, essentially. And uh, that can get you into a lot of trouble with the central bankers. We'll be back with Xavier Hayes here on The Conspiracy Show. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Xavier Hayes stays with us. The suppressed history of American banking. How big banks fought Jackson, killed Lincoln, and caused the Civil War. All right, so the um, do we have a handle on, on what the cost was, both to the North and South, uh, the debt left over from the Civil War? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure it was in the millions. Uh, massive, gruesome deaths, gnarly deaths. You know, like I don't think there was anesthesia or any of that stuff back then. I think you know, anesthesia was a bottle of Jack Daniels or whatever. I, mean, I, I don't. Oh right, know. yeah. The you know amputations and so forth was just a yeah. a gris, like a horror had, show, had, an absolute yeah. horror show. They had, like, the saw, like, you know, you cut right. the tree off. He's like, oh, he's hacked that limb off, soldier, you know? Right. I mean, there, obviously, there's the, the actual dollar uh, in terms of the debt, but incalculable in terms of, you know, a generation lost and, and uh, property damage and, and, and so forth. The carnage, just unbelievable. Yeah, well, I mean, this, you know, you got divide and rule going on now in America, and, and I don't know how it is in Canada, but it's really bad with the, with the, the systemic racism, you know, and the police brutality and and uh you know everything else it's it's uh kind of the same thing you know when you look at civil war and, and uh you know you ain't got respect for southern soldiers you know like they 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 have their places destroyed raped women raped you know it was you know it sucked for everybody absolutely there's you know there's there were two sides right it was brother against brother we tend to for you know history, tend to man. forget yeah, that and like just blatant disregard and disrespect for history is unbelievable nowadays right now the um, the Civil War ends, and uh, obviously now, does this coincide with the uh, once again the charter coming up, the central banking charter? Yeah, the I, I think the charter was 
eliminated uh, either before or around shortly after around uh, Lincoln, because it, it was around that time they had another you know the like some depressions right. So when they got the greenbacks going, it really you know it really boomed. Yeah, let's explain uh, what those greenbacks were. This was. This was Lincoln's idea, right? Uh, Lincoln's idea, right? Okay, and and this is just describe what the greenbacks were all about, how it worked. So basically, Lincoln he needed he needed they needed money for the war, and uh, he didn't want to deal with the Rothschilds. So, and you know he was he got some help from the Russians, but he was able to figure out, <laughs> you know, just we could just make our own, <laughs> like literally, you know. To, to pay for all this, so the soldiers can have money. So he basically invented the greenback, which is kind of, kind of like, I mean, if you think about like our dollar bills in America, they're kind of based on that, like the style and design. Like it was one of the first um, really artsy green paper money. Right, know? right. And again, yeah. this is money being issued by the Congress, which is what it says is that's the way it's supposed to happen according to the Constitution. This, exactly. So this is debt free. This is, you know, good, and and so and basically it boomed. Like, what would happen, you know, if if, if they, let's say, you know, Obama decided to give four hundred million instead of to Iran or whatever, you know, give each American citizen two hundred thousand dollars. That would create booms because there would be there would be jobs, there would create industries, right? Right. right. People people would be spending money, and that's kind of what Lincoln did. And he didn't give him that much money, obviously, but he made sure there was money. Like he provided money to the people, and everybody was happy. Okay, and so this is perhaps you know what sealed Lincoln's fate, according to you know sort of one one theory: the issuance of these greenbacks, circumventing the central bank, uh, and then along comes actor John Wilkes Booth. Uh, yes, and the saga of John Wilkes Booth is incredible because we have the most famous actor of his time. So it's like, okay, Brad Pitt or George Clooney or one of those guys, right? Mm-hmm. You know, could, could you imagine <laughs> one of those guys uh, murdering the president, you know? Yeah, it is amazing when you think of it. It's amazing. Like, why? First of all, why? <laughs> you know? And, and and two, like, who was the guy and how did he do it? Did he do it? And, um, like, the whole John Wilkes thing is, I mean, that's a whole other topic. That's a whole other show, man. Oh, it is. Just, it is. You have some Absolutely amazing shots incredible. of uh, amazing uh, photographs reproduced in the book of um, something that I had uh, I wasn't aware of, and that was that they that after I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but after Wilkes was was killed at the Garrett Barn, supposedly, if it was in fact <laughs> John Wilkes Booth, mm-hmm. that they that his mummy was on display um, for years and years. But that's let, a fabulous story. Yeah, but let's let's get back to John Wilkes Booth. So the, the most famous, one of the most famous actors in America at the time, shows up at the uh, at the Ford Theater, uh, and the um, um, Mary Todd Lincoln and the President go to see this uh, play, which is ironically titled "The Murderer." Mm-hmm. And um, so then, I guess, take it away from there. What happens? Well, first of all, John Wilkes Booth was, he, he pretty much lived at that theater. He got his mail there, you know. So everybody knew him there. Uh, so the day of the, the murder, you have um, Lincoln 
you know, the the secretary, I think, one of the, the secretary of state, uh, his wife, it was like a, dinner, like a double date, and they go see this play, and somehow John Wilkes Booth uh, blows his head off, right? Right. Somehow gets, gains entrance, uh, you know, which would be easy because, you know, he's the most famous actor, like, he right. do what it like, it'd be no problem for him. Well, as you say, and he had taken up residence essentially at the Ford Theater. Yeah, yeah. So for him wandering around that, it's no problem. But where's the security detail? Where's the, you know, how you can go up and shoot the head president said, jump off stage, break your leg, and then run across outside and then off into the wind. The problem was like the people who saw him, uh, you know, no one, no one identified him as John Wilkes Booth. So another another Patsy scenario, which is another interesting. Patsy you, scenario. They pick yep. someone. It's it's almost like you know having the pictures of Oswald with the rifle uh, and the uh, you know the freak the the communist um, um, right, literature right. in his hand, and then right. he he orders the murder weapon by, you know through the mail so that they can. <laughs> t- <laughs> it's so convenient, isn't it? So yeah, uh, he, it's so ridiculous. So in this case, they pick John Wilkes Booth to be the Patsy. And they um, they surround it was it was it the infantry from uh, from New York State uh, that surrounded Garrett's barn Garrett's barn yeah yeah well first of all to even get there I mean it was a harrowing uh, supposedly just to get there because uh, you know he gets past the guards and the bridge or whatever like no problem but he still had to cross the river uh, you know at night with no lights you know the first, his first their first attempt with a broken leg uh, yeah with a broken leg first attempt you know he ends up kitchen the curtain and going all the way back to where he started from. Uh, you know, so I think he had to sleep out in the in the in, in the in the in the woods or whatever for a day to get back over to the other side. You know, this is supposed to be the most famous man in in, you know, famous actor, like rich, like why, you know, never never would even dream about sleeping out, you know, already being in that situation. Right. Uh so he goes to the doctor first, I think the doctor sets his leg. I think it was uh, what Mud, Doctor Mud, and that's where we, we get the your, your name is Mud, I guess. Ah, uh, right, right, fascinating. Uh, and Mud even said, you know, I didn't look like Booth to me, you know. Uh, and then you go into the farm, you know, the barn basically where in, they hide out in Virginia, get, right? Yeah, in Virginia where they get surrounded, and you know they smoke them out, right? Uh, burn it up, smoke them out, and uh, kill him, and then the the people there, basically, like, I think it was Sergeant or whatever was like, man, he grew a red mustache in a hurry, <laughs> you know? Right, and, uh, right. In other words, this did not look to them like John Wilkes Booth. John Wilkes Booth, right, and they, they gave him the quick bullcrap burial, you know, and fast, nothing, like, literally nothing made sense. This is total cover-up, totally fast, totally got it over with, you know? Right. Really done and, and left it alone, and and, and it's kind of like you know I talked about Meriwether Lewis in, in the first book, uh, how the same thing with the shady death, you know, like that should be the suicide, you know, when he, he cut himself up and shot himself a couple times. Yeah, but, exactly. A common you know, theme throughout history, or, right? Fifty cal musket or whatever. I mean, yeah, that's easy to do. Uh, so was was um, did anyone ever resurface? claiming to be John Wilkes Booth? I mean, if assuming that this was a patsy and John Wilkes Booth realized that he was being set up, then what happened to the real John Wilkes Booth? Do we know? Here's the great, the great part of the story is that 
you know, we know that John Wilkes Booth was a, a, a Mason, and I'm glad you like the pictures in the book because I try to put get as many in there as I could. And uh, I actually have some good. Uh, there's a good picture in there of of, of Booth in his Masonic pose. Uh, yes, so you yes. Can clearly see that he was a Mason. He was a member of the Knights of the Golden Circle, I believe, which was the bit of an, a, sec- a secret society. Yeah, like one of the Southern, I guess. Right. The, well, the, the Confederate president Jefferson Davis was also uh, yep. a, a member of this this organization. Yeah. So, so he basically got the uh, he got the pass. To, to you know the, to relocate in sort of the the Masonic fed, you know federal relocation programs, <laughs> and I, I think they moved him to um, uh, somewhere in Oklahoma, you know some podunk town in the middle of nowhere. Right. Uh, and and it came out after a while. It basically came out that you know he had a different name, and the, the townsfolk. And you know, had wondering, had been wondering who this guy was who had no job but always had money. Uh, you know, knew all the Shakespeare. <laughs> Remember, you know, and give lengthy recitals of Shakespeare and all this stuff. Right. I mean, no, no, no uh, offense to the great people of Oklahoma, but it's not exactly Stratford on Avon, is it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So he kind of stuck out like a sore thumb, and I guess word got back to Jesse James and. You know, who was supposed to be dead at this point, too, by the story. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but, you know, according to uh, you know, conspiracy, fol- folklore, and alternative history, right? Uh, you know, he was still alive, and so he got tired of the blabbing of, uh, of boots, and they went down there, and they kind of settled him out with, uh, I guess, uh, some sort of arsenic, you know, lead drink or something, right, I guess. Right, right. So uh, what is your um, your best guess, then? Was 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 is it possible Booth was the trigger man, and then and then the the guy they caught in Garrett's barn, which was a guy possibly by the name of Boyd, was he in fact the Patsy, or who who pulled the trigger? Yeah, I mean because they have the whole other uh, agent that they sent up there to be the Patsy, and you know one of the guys because they hung everybody, they hung yeah. like four or five people, so, right? And I mean, yeah, it, it. I don't see why. I can see how Booth would want to be. Uh, you know, because they they betray him as like, okay, you want you want the the sympathy or want to you know get the, the real final act to be famous or whatever. But he's already super famous, and I don't see how that could help his career. <laughs> like, like killing the president, I don't think it would, you know would. would uh, well, you would think though, if if you know the um, they rarely allow witnesses or even the participants to survive. I mean, if if Oswald was the patsy, and then they kill, then they use Ruby that? Ruby to kill Oswald, and then perhaps you know uh, uh, Ruby, the theory was 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 uh, was knocked off uh, some you know some cancer causing agent while he was in prison. Um, yep. So why would they allow John Wilkes Booth to live at all? Is kind mm-hmm. of a mystery. It's exactly that's the whole thing, and they don't, you know, like I was saying, they don't allow the to exhume the body, right? Supposedly, or whatever body that is, they won't. They don't allow it. Like they don't allow the same with Meriwether Lewis. They don't allow, right. you know, they just forget it. I mean, and which is crazy because it's it's such an intriguing mystery, and you know, all of the I have in the book uh, a lot of the work from. Uh, the, David McGowan, uh, he died recently, a great writer. He wrote about um, uh, like the Laurel Canyon conspiracy and stuff. And, oh, I didn't know David passed away. I knew David. 
Uh, oh yeah, he did. He, he died. I, I saw it on my Facebook feed. Uh, oh dear, right. about a year ago, I think. And so I was able to get because uh, he did a lot of great work on the whole Lincoln and uh, John Wilkes Booth stuff. So well, that's to, you're right. That's a whole other book, and Xavier. That's a whole other show, and uh, we'll do yeah. that show. We are out of time. Uh, ah, okay. In the meantime, uh, we'll invite uh, listeners to. Uh, pick up a copy of The Suppressed History of American Banking, How Big Banks Fought Jackson, Killed Lincoln, and Caused the Civil War. Xavier Hayes, thank you so much for this. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Appreciate having me on. All right. Bye-bye. Strangeplanet.ca, that's your portal to this program. And uh, please say hello on uh, Twitter, at Richard Serrett. As always, follow the truth. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your basement, your loft, your cab, your RV and camper, that greasy spoon just off the Internet, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM here in Toronto, 50,000 watts of peace and love, one of the largest broadcast footprints in all of North America. Hi to all of you checking us out on one of our affiliates, both in Canada and the United States. Of course, the podcasts, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and TalkZone.com. And, of course, our groovy apps, two of them that I want to mention. Zoomer Radio has a terrific app. It's free. And also the Conspiracy Show app. Both, again, free downloads from iTunes and Google Play for you Android users. Uh, we are going to be joined momentarily by a filmmaker, cannabis activist, Jeff Eichen, uh, to tell us about a new documentary film in uh, just a few moments. In the meantime, let me remind you about the website, strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal, not only to this radio program, but my other projects, the TV show, of course, also named The Conspiracy Show. So again, just log on to strangeplanet.ca and uh, if you go to the radio page for The Conspiracy Show, please register as a member. There's a blue button there on the left-hand side. Just click on that. Registration is, is fast, it's easy, and it's free. And once you're registered, you have access to members-only areas like the, uh, the past show audio archives. And also, I direct you to the live events page at strangeplanet.ca, the live events page. Saturday, October the 15th, fast approaching, and uh, that is my next live event. Take a walk on the dark side, rock and roll legends, myths, and curses with the Fox Mulder of rock and roll, R. Gary Patterson. He'll be live on stage uh, presenting some uh, wonderful stories. It's sort of rock and roll meets the Twilight Zone, and um, uh, we'll also have special guests joining us by Skype, including Peggy Sue Guerin, of course, Buddy Holly's muse. Uh, also, Bill Harry, great friend of the Beatles, the publisher of Mercy Beat magazine, and Leo Lyons, bass guitarist with 
10 years after, a legendary band who really stole the show at, uh, at Woodstock. Uh, that's Saturday, October the 15th. Take a walk on the dark side. And again, you can purchase your tickets right online, live events page at strangeplanet.ca. All right, let's talk about marijuana. Now, up here in Canada, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, uh, pledged to uh, decriminalize, legalize uh, marijuana. Well, there are a number of obstacles standing in the way of that, and uh, we shall see how that plays out. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, there are people on both sides of the border in the United States and Canada who continue to languish in prison uh, because uh, of their use of of marijuana, possession and... uh, 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 Mark Emery, of course, the Prince of Pot, as he is known up here in Canada, um, was uh, arrested uh, by the FBI, and I believe he served something like five years in the United States. He was extradited, extradited to the United States uh, for selling marijuana seeds through the mail, and uh, he and his wife, uh, uh, I believe it's Joan Emery, continue uh, to campaign, campaign and are really holding the Prime Minister's feet to the fire to make sure that he uh, follows through on his campaign promise to legalize uh, marijuana for recreational use, of course. Medical marijuana now is, is, is legal here in Canada and uh, in a number of jurisdictions in the United States. Well, here to tell us uh, more about uh, a new documentary which really focuses on those people languishing in prison uh, for uh, marijuana use and uh, uh, other uh, other aspects associated with uh, with cannabis is a, a filmmaker and as I say a longtime cannabis activist Jeff Eichen. Jeff, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thank you so much uh, for all you do and for um, you know telling it like it is. That's uh, kind of what. Um, filmmakers should be doing and um you know i take it personal when there's bad video games and um people in prison for a plant uh, lifers true stories told by people in prison for life for their belief in marijuana just to, uh first of all before we get too deep into this tell people where they can watch this documentary how they can see it well, right now it's in its um, it's in its preview stage. Um, I'm on Edit G right now, and I'm going actually to uh, next weekend. I'm going to Brooklyn, New York, to the uh, New York Cannabis Film Festival, and I'm going to be um, having my preview there, my trailer. And uh, it, it seemed like I was um, either too inebriated or which I don't smoke that much, anyways. Um, but uh, to follow up or to, to have wind of them, but they invited me so graciously. I'm now a sponsor at the New York Cannabis Film Festival. So who knew this 20 years ago? We'd be having cannabis film festivals and that um, films do make a difference when they're documentaries, um, not about the fluff, but about the prisoners inside, um, you know, inside prison. And, and in terms of, uh, do you have a handle on how many people in the United States are behind bars because of, uh, again, as I say, either possession of marijuana or perhaps distributing, uh, selling? Well, I was told by Beth Curtis, who owns LifeForPod.com, and she's an elder, and she's been doing it for 20 years, and her brother is in jail for the last 20 years for, um, uh, you know, for marijuana uh, he was trafficking it but um but the rules were done 
and he was not convicted of any charges. And a trumped-up judge decided that the prison system was going to allow him to be away for life because marijuana is a Schedule One drug. And she has told me that I believe there's 3,000 prisoners away for, uh, for life. Um, I'm not sure of that exact number. All I know is there's too many. And now that the paradigm and the shift and Trudeau, especially who has promised to release all plant prisoners, um, which is fantastic, by the way, for Canada, um, bravo. And um, they, they're not changing the laws. They're, they're not allowing the ones that were in there when the laws were bad. Yeah, I don't, I don't care what side of the ledger you're on on this issue, whether you believe they should decriminalize or whether you believe you know, that it, it should be still a, you know, a prohibited uh, a drug. I don't care what side you're on. Someone serving life for selling marijuana or using marijuana. Uh, that I mean, murderers are sent away for life. Rapists should be sent away for life. But selling pot, that's just, uh, you know, that's just unconscionable. Well, uh, the, top ten, the top 10 people that I chose out of the, the, the many, the millennium of, of interviews that I had at the Drug Policy Alliance in Washington, D.C., there was 1,500 of us from all over the world. Um, the ones that I chose were people like from uh, the Leapers. The Leapers are law enforcement against prohibition. And one gentleman told me in my film, on in, uh, I got him, and he said, he said that it didn't take me overnight to change my mind because I was brainwashed for so many years that drugs were bad and people that sold drugs were bad. Well, um I remember interviewing uh, Kevin Booth. Uh, I'm not familiar. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Kevin. He um, was actually a, a, a childhood friend of the great late comedian Bill Hicks, and um, uh, Kevin produced a couple of documentaries on this subject. One was uh, called uh, "How Weed Won the West," and the other one was um, "American Drug War." And um, he interviewed uh, Freeway Rick Ross. And uh, Freeway Rick Ross was one of the top Coke dealers in Los Angeles in the 1980s. And then uh, I think at his, at his height, he was, uh, he was selling about $3 million worth of cocaine a day. And then Gary Webb from the San Jose Mercury News kind of connected the dots and figured that Rick Ross was being supplied that cocaine uh, by the CIA. And then we know what happened to Gary Webb. He was mysteriously suicided, as we say in this arena. Uh, I mean, cocaine is one thing. Uh, I mean, we know it's just a litany of woe associated with cocaine, but marijuana... It's a Schedule 2 drug, and marijuana is a Schedule 1. What the heck? <laughs> Absolutely. Unbelievable. Um, now, yeah. you've been at this a, a long time, 30 years uh, or more as a cannabis activist. Um, I work with... Yeah, go ahead. Jack Carrere was the grandfather and wrote the book Emperors Wear No Clothes. And he wrote the revision in my living room on stems and seeds with Ellen Comp for months and months and months. And one day he handed me $300 and he said, we finished the initiative. Will you fly it to Sacramento? And they were all too stoned to get the, oh, the initiative there on time. And so be it. You know, how many people were not stoned at, you know, at, 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 at one of the big concerts, you know, in, in you know, the jazz concerts or, or 
the the one in Upper State New York, or the one I'm I'm losing a, a thought on now. Um, and it's just so amazing that Jack said paper, fiber, and fuel, and now there's medicine. CBD is substantiated coming from the plant, and there's food from the hemp seed. And for a vegan like myself, I get all my protein from my hemp seed every day, a handful in my smoothies. And so they can't tell me they can put a human away for a plant for life. Right, right. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm totally on side uh, when it comes to medical marijuana. Uh, it seems to have, you know, we have to be careful about making claims, but uh, um, cannabis oil, uh, again, I go back to the uh, the, the movie by with Kevin Booth, uh, this uh, child stricken with cancer up in um, I believe it was Washington State, and um, he's the father. Baby, baby Landon, baby Landon from uh, from TeamLandon.com. He's yes. seven or eight years old. Um, it's the Canna moms, and they're cruising the country, and they're all moving to to uh, Colorado so right. they can marijuana for their babies. He has no more brain cancer, and when I asked him at seven years old at my booth at HempFest two years ago, I said, do you like cannabis? And the little smarty pants said to me, it made my hair grow back. Mm. Right. So as I say, I'm on, totally on board with medical marijuana. I think if we're going to take the next step, which is to decriminalize, um, and I certainly don't think people should be serving time at all. Uh, you know, we'll have to think it through carefully and there'll have to be, you know, in terms of distribution and regulation to make sure it doesn't get into the hands of minors and all that stuff. But, um, well, you know, it, prohibition is one of the, the easy, um, easiest visualizations to share with the planet. You know, Lifers, the, the movie, the, the job is to awaken people, governments in charge, and tell the long overdue story. And it's a global issue pointed out in my documentary and my intention is to be the voice, and I feel this is one of the most urgent modern society, you know, issues of our time. And it's just simply about prohibition. It never worked on alcohol prohibition, and nobody beat their wife up on pot, but alcohol's legal, you know. So I am really, really, really tired with the three strikes that was created in 24 states in, in America and they they call it they call it referred to as a persistent offender, and that was in 1993. And the war on drugs was created in 1971 by your beautiful President Nixon. Right, three strikes and you're in, as you say on the uh, on the movie poster. Lifers, true stories told by people in prison for life for their belief in marijuana. We'll come back and discuss further with filmmaker Jeff Eichen right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Uh, We are back with filmmaker, cannabis activist Jeff Eichen. The documentary is Lifers, 
true stories told by people in prison for life for their belief in marijuana. And I'll refer you to the, uh, the website, www.lifersthemovie.com. Lifersthemovie.com. Now, uh, I'm not sure if this gentleman is featured in the, um, in the movie, but I know there was a campaign to free this gentleman, and he's free today, and that's uh, Jeff Mizenkansky. Uh, t- can, can you tell me a little bit about Jeff? My first interview in prison, I went in, and the gentleman that checked me in and looked at every inch of my cameras and my film cameras, opened them up. He's a big, big dude and young and burly. And I said, what's your name? And he said, Bearclaw, C-L-O-U-G-H. And I Mm -hmm. said, very native, and my angels have brought me to you, man. Let me in. And I got in, and I interviewed Jeff Mazansky. And we had a green candlelight vigil the night before he went to his first parole board meeting in 21 years in June. And in September, he was released. We had a green candle vigil in Uruguay, Amsterdam, and all around America on Google Chat. And, wh- all agree- and so how long did Jeff serve and what, what, did they, what did they imprison him for exactly? 21 Point nine years, and I believe it was for an ounce, an ounce, and a joint. An he ounce wrong, and a joint. Oh, my he was, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time at the end. You know, marijuana is a Schedule One drug, and we know that's right alongside heroin, and cocaine's a Schedule Two drug. This summer, Portugal decriminalized all non-pharmaceutical drugs across the board. Mm. Amazing. Uh, give me another, uh, uh, for instance, someone that you interviewed, one of these lifers, and tell me a little bit about their story. When I was at HempFest this week, this, this last uh, couple months ago, um, with Sharon and Vivian, who produce a beautiful show every year for the last, I believe, 10 years, it's just humongous and fantastic, and all the people that um, have been in it forever get up and talk, and there's booths, and there's 420 action. It's just beautiful. I met, for the first time, I met George Montanero or Monterano, and um, you can find his good spelling on my website or on um, liferpod.com or uh, pows420.com. So George invited me out after they were having a gala little get-together, and he said, I'm ready for you, Jeffrey. And I had my LED light on top of my camera, and it looked like we were the witches from Eastwick or something. It was like a flashlight on his face. And he said he was 33 when he went into jail for marijuana, and he's now 66. Oh, my. What state? And he said, he also said, you're, you're not going to believe this one, Jeffrey, I was in, and I put it in my film. He said, Jeffrey, I was in a boxcar for five years, and when I stopped screaming, I found God. He said he sharpened the pencil he found with his teeth and wrote every inch of the wall for five years in a boxcar, which is now illegal, but not then. For a plant, they put him in a metal room with no windows for five years. It's time to get every one of our boys and girls, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, out. Um. When is, uh, when is the documentary slated for completion, uh, Jeff? It's pretty darn good right now, but what I really am intending is to, is to really go for the gusto and snuggle up with 
uh, Willie Nelson, Snoop Dogg, Woody Harrelson. And if you're listening, you can contact me at lifepersonmovie.com. Um, and I just really believe that somebody like Woody, who was a hamster from way back, he made the first hemp surfboard with my friend Chris Boucher, and it was just so beautiful back in the in the 80s and 90s, the, the hemp movement. We were making beautiful clothing. We were importing the fabric from China, and nobody was was fighting over millions of dollars of recreational. And now that I'm inside, I want all of the big boys or the people, including, you know, Cheech and Tommy, you know, Tommy Chong, um, that have incredible, you know, recreational businesses, I want them to assist lifers with, because Woody has a production, film production company, and I'll give them the project and I'll stay on as executive producer, but to make it really hit hard. This next weekend, I'll be in Brooklyn at the New York Cannabis Film Festival. That's nyccff.com. I'll be there. I'm a sponsor, and I will be meeting with Netflix. Now, Tommy Chong, you mentioned, there's an interesting case. Now, back in early 2000s, I think it was around 2003, uh, they uh, they sentenced Tommy Chong to, I think he got nine months. Doing great. I'm, I'm here. And this was for a, um, I believe it was distribution of drug paraphernalia. Some Some FBI agents... You want the real story? Well, here's here's the official story anyway. But they ordered one of his uh, his bongs, um, which I think his his son was running this uh, this company. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, and they, yeah, yeah. And because they because it crossed state lines, then they had then they had him. So they busted him. They gave him nine months because he basically mailed a bong, which he sold online across the state line. Nine months for that. Is there another version of that story, or did I? Is that pretty much it? No, that was it. When I interviewed him, and they haven't released my interview yet or allowed me to use it yet, but he said, call me anytime, Jeffrey. I asked him the hard questions. I said, "How? what was it like in prison? And Tommy Chong told me, point blank, it was spiritual. Hmm. Spiritual. Interesting. You had to find something to ground right. yourself and right. to, to make it through those days. I mean, George was in a boxcar for five years, for God's sakes. Yeah, that's hell. That's hell. You know, for, for a plan. I mean, Bill Maher said, we got gay marriage, marijuana is next. That gay marriage was a taboo until they took it to the Supreme Court. It got through. And I'm telling you, every, every leader in the movement that I interview says, you're right, Jeffrey, there is a parallel between gay marriage happening and marijuana happening because they're they were tabooed and counterculture. You couldn't you couldn't say gay marriage really that much on the nightly news, and now they're saying marijuana on the nightly news. Yeah, so I don't I don't know about the, the the parallel exactly. I mean the the, the because marriage is a state issue. Um, I'm not sure, and and that's that's the point of contention. Um, you know, basic civics. You, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't have jurisdiction that's that's why it's it's contested however with marijuana you tell me because i'm not i'm not too that's state as well isn't it that's state that's that's a state jurisdiction anything not expressly mentioned in the constitution falls to the states so don't you have to win this state by state it is state by state but then when when washington state where i live um became um you know sovereign um the it, it wasn't sovereign 
you know, federally, and so the federal could trump anything and come in and close anybody they wanted to. Yeah, that's the problem. They're incur- it's an incursion onto state state rights, and that it's a state. Are there how many states now have have legalized medical marijuana? Roughly, it's a handful, I'm, right? I'm not sure of that one, but there is a handful. I think it's 11 to 20 um, that are doing. California's next. They're they're going to vote for it um, in the next election. And um, it's just time for, you know, for, you know, for prohibition to equal alcohol. Alcohol is right. a much difficult um, drug, and, and, and the outcome of doing alcohol is so silly as opposed to when you smoke, you know, you come home and you have a drink. My dad did for years. He had a Mai Tai and when he, to relax. Why can't we choose to come home and relax? And not get angry or upset or spin. Right. Um, but if you had, if you had to pick one one fight, uh, I mean, medical marijuana or recreational. Uh, There's, you're forgetting. You're forgetting industrial for for building homes, for making rope, for making shoes. You know. Right. I mean, if if it were up to me, and we could, we would just clump them into. Hemp is marijuana. Marijuana, it's the family. And it's not that our children are going to get messed up or we're going to have more car accidents. It's that we do it as stewards of the planet, that we, that we legalize it like alcohol. Alcohol still abuse. Indeed it is, yes. You yes. know, and I was told by, um, by a great foodologist, um, uh, Gabrielle Cousins from, uh, from Patagonia, Arizona, he told me he just wrote a book on on children. It was like a four or five hundred page book on the, the the incredible rearing of children through food and and gentleness. And he said, for gosh sakes, and I'm not quoting him, but he shared with me that the brain is still developing after 20, so up to like 22, 23, 24. And so alcohol's really bad. But um, he said that he he suggested that we didn't, you know. Um, smoke until, you know, early into our 20s, you know, give our bodies and our brains a chance to develop. Absolutely. So, you, I mean, you obviously uh, have thought this through and, and you see a need for, for some restrictions and, and, and regulations when it comes to... I don't think it should go across the board. We should learn from the alcohol game and we should, um, we should do it properly and we shouldn't have our hands in everything and cameras everywhere, you know, um, Prohibition ended with alcohol, and who knows, you know, um, how much they still watch the, you know, the Jack Daniels factory, you know, and so on and so forth, that that there's no, you know, GMOs or there's no dead rats, you know. I mean, how how much mold is in the recreational pot that's being grown now? We don't have a mold police, and that's my problem. So I think we should be able to grow it ourselves, especially if you have PTSD and you're you're from Iraq, you need to be able to know what you're what you're ingesting. Right. People love. Right. What about tax uh, taxation? Would you, would you would you see um, legalized marijuana as a tax revenue source? That's perfect. That's so be it. Let's make rope and fabric again, and and my stinky paper mill in my small town can be a half paper mill, and we don't have to cut trees for paper and tax the crud out of it that won't make it too expensive, and it'll put the farmers will make their money, the government will make their money, 
You know, I think Philip Morris already has, you know, containers, cartons already filled with green tobacco. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, lifers, true stories told by people imprisoned for life for their belief in marijuana. And the website is lifersthemovie.com. Filmmaker Jeff Eichen uh, is with us. Um, the uh, now I don't know if you if this is something that you discuss in the film, but you know when we're talking about the war on drugs, uh, which was launched by Nixon back in 1971. And let's be fair, Nixon did some good things. I mean, create created the EPA, um, but he also had you know uh, like most presidents, he had his uh, the yin and the yang and the dark side. Uh, but um, since the war on drugs. Um, I mean, how much money have we has been poured into that? It's got to be in the tens of billions of dollars. It says here. Let's see. I, I've got a. Um, I've got a little thing here that I just read. Just today, the Drug Policy Alliance, which I went to in in Washington D.C. last year, which advocates for the end to the war on drugs, estimates that the United States spends fifty-one billion dollars annually on these initiatives. Eighty-one billion. Hmm. Fifty-one. Fifty-one. Fifty-one billion. Right. Yes. And uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the gangs in, well, that are now you know, throughout America in the, in the larger urban centers, uh, are they still fighting turf wars over the distribution of pot, or is it primarily cocaine and heroin? Or is pot still part of that mix? I think pot is, is still a, a bit of every mix. If, if we would end prohibition on marijuana, I think we would lose totally the cartel you know the cartel is 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 um in my movie um one of the gentlemen that i interview there he said that the cartel are killing a thousand people a week in mexico and obviously marijuana the marijuana trade is part of that it's huge it's right. huge and you know and these border things and the you know the, the the rhetoric that's going on in our national campaign now we won't get started there it's just it's just huge and if we decriminalize and we drop the stigma and the frady cat you know um let me let me read you something really really short here about um, yeah we got about 10 seconds can you do it in 10 story began in the 30s with newspaper Publisher William Randolph Hearst, due to his intense desire to monopolize the newspaper industry, Mr. Hearst teamed up with the lumber industry, which produces paper for his newspapers to make massive process. Right, and uh, and hemp was taken out of the equation, I guess that's... He proposed to the federal government to ban all marijuana plants and hemp products at once. He succeeded in making hemp become illegal to farm, grow, smoke, eat, or continue its use for good causes. There you go. Lifers, the true stories told by people imprisoned for life for their belief in marijuana. Jeff Eichen, and the website lifersthemovie.com. Thanks for this, Jeff. Fantastic. I really appreciate it. I'll be in Brooklyn next week at the New York Cannabis Film Festival. Love you all and hemp hemp hooray and okay. free the prisoners, free the plant. All right. Rosemary Ellen Guiley joins us next on The Conspiracy Show. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. 
This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. It's that time of the month for our monthly paranormal roundup. And joining us, as per usual, is our resident paranormal investigator, researcher, best-selling author of well over 60 titles now, including Ouija Gone Wild, Haunted by the Things We Love, and the Zozo Phenomenon, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. How are you? Hi, Richard. I'm doing well. Uh, into busy season, it's Halloween time, and things always crank up this time of the year, so I've got uh, lots of things going on. I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah, this is, uh, this is definitely your busy season. And so much to talk about, but I, 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 this caught my eye recently, and I, I saw the video, and it's absolutely chilling. I wanted to get your take on it. This is this, uh, uh, down in Guadalajara, Mexico, there is the uh, remains of a Catholic child saint, which is, rem- this, uh, this uh, child died over 300 years ago, and it's, the, the, the body is still remarkably intact. And uh, along came, uh, uh, comes a tourist who's uh, vi- taking videotape of this Santa Innocencia, Saint Innocence, and uh, all of a sudden, well, you take it from there, Rosemary. What happens? Well, allegedly, uh, the videotape captured this uh, incorrupt saint uh, to be blinking, to, to actually open its eyes very briefly on the camera. And, uh, of course, it went viral uh, around the world. And uh, I watched it a number of times, and I, I found it problematic um, the part where the the, um, uh, the head of the girl seems to blink, it gets a little blurry, and um, I also don't know why the, the camera person focused so much on the head as opposed to just the entire body. The way it was shot um, just seemed rather odd to me, and people have called it a hoax. Um, it, it could, if it's not a hoax, it could be, um, you know, something in the really bad video. It's not a very high-quality video. And so that's problematic. Um, it's interesting from the standpoint of the incorruptibility of saints. Uh, many miracles have been attributed to saints after their death, of course, and uh, even including their bodies. And it's very clear from the video of, of this girl that, her head is a waxen head, uh, which is quite common because um, incorrupt doesn't mean that the body stays like it was during life. Uh, there's a lot of desica- desi- desiccation and shriveling of the flesh, even right. exposure of the skeleton. Um, and quite often the head will deteriorate to the point where, from just an aesthetic uh, standpoint, uh, wax is. Um, is put over it, or a waxen head. Usually when incorrupt saints are shown, you just see the head. When when they're laid out in their reliquaries, you just see the head, the hands, and the feet. And so this really isn't the the original head of the girl. So that brings another whole issue into this. Now, um, I I did some research uh, about, you know, were there other stories of incorrupt saints who supposedly moved or... um, you know, showed some, some signs of life after, uh, long after they were dead. And the, the only reference I could find was to a Polish saint, a very obscure Polish saint, who died in 1623. And um, he was martyred. 
he was uh, struck with a very heavy stick, then he was hit with an axe, then he was shot in the head. Oh, dear. And, it almost sounds uh, like Rasputin, how they got tried to get rid of him. I know. And then his body was finally dumped in a river, which I think something like that happened to Rasputin, yes. too. Didn't they try to drown him? First they, tried, they, first they tried to poison him, and then they shot him, and then, yeah, then they threw him in the river. So uh, there was a story that went around about this incorrupt saint that his axe wound uh, healed after he was dead and incorrupt, and, um, you know, that became a legend, too. So there's not a whole lot out there about uh, saints, you know, showing life after, um, you know, long after they're dead. So I'm a little suspect of this story, especially with the waxen head. Right. Uh, Saint Innocentia, or Saint Innocent, I suppose. Uh, and again, this is a, a little girl uh, who apparently, you know, loved the Church, loved the Eucharist in particular, and uh, a very tragic story uh, that unfolded 300 years ago, I guess, after taking Holy Communion, uh, she came home and her father plunged a knife into her, uh, and her body was taken to the um, the cathedral in Guadalajara, where she, she lies in state to this day. Um, and again, you're right. Whenever there's video evidence, that's always suspect, particularly with all of the technology and software uh, available. You can do just you can make people see anything you want. But uh, the video, uh, which is just posted everywhere online, it's gone viral. It appears appears to show uh, the um, the incorrupted body or the head uh, blinking on camera. Uh, but who's to say? As you say, it, it does. It it is very suspect because it's kind of blurry. It is, uh, and, uh, you know, we have other odd stories, too, like the religious statues that weep tears of blood or tears of oil. Uh, there are miraculous phenomena that, uh, that are associated to the saints. I'm just not convinced that this is one of them. All right. I think I'm, uh, I'm on your side on this one, Rosemary. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and uh, continue to delve into the paranormal right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra from Zoomer Radio. I'm Nicole McCallum, your Trafalgar travel expert. Step out of your travel comfort zone and join us in Asia, South America, or the South Pacific. Being a truly global travel company, we at Trafalgar are taking our European expertise to exotic countries like India and Japan, breaking bread with locals and drinking in their culture. Save up to 10% with your early payment discount when you pay by January 12th. Book now at trafalgar.com. Live for the moments, explore the world, Europe, and beyond. Simply discover Trafalgar. Don't think the illegal cigarette trade can affect you. Ask Peter. The police called her an innocent bystander. I called her my wife. Or Michelle. My sister went for lunch. I never saw her again. Or Jennifer. My brother is lucky to be alive. One third of cigarettes bought in Ontario is illegal. The profits fund gangs and criminal activity, including... Guns. 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 Get the facts at stopilegaltobacco.ca. This dramatization is from the National Coalition Against Contraband Tobacco. Visit Canada's largest showcase of natural health and green living. Whole Life Expo hits the Toronto Convention Centre for three days of fun, food and new discoveries. Sample the latest superfoods, discover top nutrients for your well-being, visit hundreds of exhibits and over 70 lectures. All this and great show specials on products and services for your healthy lifestyle. Come and celebrate the Expo's 30th anniversary. See you at Whole Life Expo, October 21st to 23rd. Check out wholelifeexpo.ca. 
It takes ladyballs to quit work and not go back. It takes ladyballs to lose your hair and continue on like nothing happened. It takes ladyballs to keep your life and your family as sane as possible. It takes ladyballs to get through this. My name is Ellie Mayday, and I've got the ladyballs to fight ovarian cancer. Women have balls. They're called ovaries, and they're at risk. Have the ladyballs to make a difference. Donate at ladyballs.org. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. We're back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. It's our monthly paranormal roundup. And uh, let me just remind you, Rosemary's website, visionaryliving.com. Visionaryliving.com. Check out the bookstore. There are uh, over 60 titles, uh, including uh, an encyclopedic work on the saints, which we just uh, finished discussing. Uh, but these games, uh, and I think it's playing with fire, but these games are just rampant now. And there, there's so many different versions, and, and they seem to be going viral, I guess, thanks to the Internet. Uh, but, but kids are playing and dabbling in the occult, it seems like, now more than ever. And, and recently on a website, Rosemary, uh, called Bloomhouse.com, uh, they listed some of these games and, and uh, gave some detailed descriptions. I never heard any, any of these. Uh, something called the Dark Reflection. Tell me about this. Well, these da- games are quite dangerous, as you point out, Richard, because um, they play on young people's desires to have a scare and a thrill, but they are literally playing with fire because they have real occult elements in them that can open the door to something very terrifying. And uh, a game like The Dark Reflection uh, uses mirrors and candles, and... Uh, you stare into the mirror, and uh, a lot of these things, they have to be done, of course, in the middle of the night. Some of them say, like, between midnight and 3, but uh, you, you stare into the mirror, and you put your own energy into it. And whenever you put your energy into something, this is a, a factor in magic that you are willing something to come into being. Mirrors have a long history of being doorways to the spirit world, and we find them in problem haunting. So already uh, you're taking a tool that uh, is a very powerful doorway, and I teach black mirror scrying, but uh, as, as a way to communicate with the dead, you have to know what you're doing. You can't just throw open the door uh, and uh, see what's out there. So in, in this game, you stare into the mirror, uh, putting a lot of energy into it, so you're staring at your reflection, which, if you stare at it long enough, is going to start changing on you anyway. It right. looks pretty creepy. And then you breathe the fog onto the mirror and hold the candle to it so that it creates a scorch mark. And this is supposed to, this is the purpose of this game. It's supposed to release a mass of negative energy into the room. Why would you want to do that? Exactly. Exactly. You literally opened the door and invited something horrific and negative to come into your home environment. And, uh, you know, a lot of these rituals, they're not going to be successful. The kids are just going to wind up scaring themselves just going through it. But they could work, and they, uh, they could invite something very negative and powerful into the home environment that then may have the ability to stay. Well, I guess ostensibly the way it's supposed to work, although, again, it, it is, it's playing with fire, that the, the, the negativity that comes into the room is supposed to be temporary, and then it's supposed to be released somehow the following morning so that this purging of this bad luck is supposed to how, somehow lead to success and good fortune. 
And that's totally crazy because the ritual doesn't provide any way for purging this energy. And when you have something negative that's lodged in your, in your house space, uh, it requires some type of exorcism in order to get it out if, uh, if it doesn't leave on its own. So you've invited something really negative to come in with this really crazy idea that somehow this is going to wind up sweeping bad luck out of your house. And then there's no prescription for, for how to get it to go. So it's tailor-made. If it works, it is tailor-made for problems. If you want to get rid of the bad luck in your life and turn your life around, you should be connecting with the forces of light and good, Absolutely. not with the negative forces. Absolutely. There's another similar, well, there's a several similar takes on this. And there's another one that's out there. And again, these games supposedly are going viral. So, you know, if your kids are having a, a sleepover party or something, make sure you you know, find out what they're actually up to. There's another game, it's called the Midnight Game, where they try to sum summon someone called the Midnight Man. What's that all about? Uh, to me, the Midnight Man immediately called up images of shadow people and the Hat Man. Uh, and here again, you're playing with very problematic, dangerous entities. And this is one that has, uh, you know, some clock, you know, these things are supposed to go out in the middle of the night. Well, there are very specific times that you're supposed to do this. And uh, you're, you're supposed to have a closed wooden door in the, in the ritual with a candle, pen, and paper. And here's uh, the really bad part about it. You're supposed to use drops of your own blood. Oh, dear. Now, this is, uh, this is a tenet of certain kinds of uh, spirit summoning, that uh, the dead in spirits uh, will take the energy from the life force. And this is one way that uh, you can... Um, uh, summon them is is uh, in rituals where uh, that's why animals are sacrificed. Uh, using your own blood is another way to do it. This is incredibly dangerous. So uh, you, you put your uh, name on a piece of paper. You put blood on it. So you really aligned the life force with your name. And uh, then you're supposed to light the candle and sit there in the dark with just the candle. And um, then you knock on the door 22 times, and there's no explanation for why it should be 22. Actually, I'm not certain why it isn't 33, because 3 is supposed to be the demonic number that mocks the Trinity. Uh -huh. um, but you have to do all this very quickly, like in a, you know, uh, just a minute or so. Right, you have to, and you have and to start be before 12.01 for some reason, before a minute after midnight. Right. Then, then you open the door and uh, put the candle out, and supposedly opening the door ushers this midnight man in. And if you light the candle and leave the room, uh, and then leave the candle burning and uh, walk around the house uh, and concentrate on a wish, and, and um, uh, then supposedly, uh, you know, the midnight man is going to grant your wish. Well, I think the midnight man is going to be giving you a heck of a nightmare. Oh, dear. So, it, it, but it gets worse because apparently um, you have to, um, uh, once the Midnight Man sort of has, has made his presence known, the candle goes out somehow, and if you fail to relight the candle within a certain amount of time, like 10 seconds, uh, you're, you're gonna, you're, apparently the Midnight Man is going to conjure your greatest fear before disemboweling you. That's right. And um, highly unlikely that a, a spirit's going to disembowel you. Uh, I've never heard of any such thing. However, negative spirits can do physical harm. 
And if if you have put all this concentration into conjuring up something scary and negative uh, coming into your home environment, uh, you could very well uh, have uh, an entity on your hands that uh, is going to uh, uh, have the capability of harming you and other people in it. How long have these games been around, Rosemary? I think they've been around a very long time. Um, It's impossible to pin down, certainly in the 20th century. uh, I mean, I I remember when I was a kid, uh, you know, not that long ago. (laughs) No, just a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) Uh, You know, there were always games that uh, you played to to conjure something. You mentioned Bloody Mary, you know, in, in the beginning. That's been a popular one for many, many decades. But what's alarming me is these games are getting more dangerous and when when you start um, playing around with mirrors in the wrong way you um, add your blood to a summoning and then there there was another game that involved taking a doll and putting your own um, uh, nail clippings in it and binding it up and then stabbing it oh. uh, nail clippings hair bits of clothing uh, these are all things uh, commonly used for centuries in spell casting and magical rituals, usually for the intent to harm someone. It's a form of sympathetic magic. And so you've got uninformed kids literally playing with fire uh, just for the sake of, of getting a scare. And uh, it, it's, it's a very disturbing trend. And it, it seems to have I would say with definitely within the last decade and certainly within the last five years, um, we've seen more of these games, and they go viral thanks to the Internet. Right, right. You know, uh, coincidentally, what was on uh, TV uh, last night, the night before, the mighty Aphrodite and I were watching, it was uh, The Skeleton Key. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie with uh, uh, Gina Rowlands, great actress. Who, she was married to the late John Cassavetes. Uh, and then Goldie Hawn's daughter, whose name escapes me. Um, young, uh, talented actress, and uh, it involves, you know, this creepy old house down in uh, one of the parishes in Louisiana, and um, the the previous occupants of this house had sort of dabbled in, not dabbled, they were well steeped in hoodoo, uh, which is not, we're not talking voodoo, uh, but hoodoo, which is kind of a, I guess, a, a magic that comes from sort of a combination of Africa and uh, uh, transplanted in America and sort of mixed with the uh, the Cajun culture. A lot of this stuff, especially when it gets into, you know, mirrors and candles, sounds like hoodoo. Uh, It does have a lot of similarity. In in hoodoo, you're using using natural ingredients for spell casting. And so you do things like... um, you take um, uh, these sympathetic magic items, the, the hair, the nails, um, clothing bits, photographs, and things like that. You're using food out of your kitchen. Uh, you're using dolls. You're using other things as, as a way of casting spells. And not, they're not all negative. There are many hoodoo spells for prosperity and love and getting rid of uh, negativity and evil. But uh, they they do require, um, when you've got kids who are looking for a thrill and they're going to turn it to the negative, uh, you really need to know what you're doing. And um, 
it um, I, I would wager that uh, there are uh, kids experimenting with with these things and having them literally uh, blow up on them. You know that, that they then have serious problems. Uh, the Three Kings. Uh, this is another game that's apparently gone viral, an occult type party game. And this one also uses mirrors, and. Um, it's uh, another way of summoning uh, something uh, into your presence. And uh, they call it the shadow side. Uh, and so here again, it's going looking for something uh, dark. This is an alternate reality called the shadow side. And uh, uh, you're supposed to be in a dark windowless room. You have two mirrors and three chairs and a candle. And... Uh, you should be accompanied by a friend. You don't do this by yourself. So you set up the three chairs uh, like thrones, and you take the one, uh, you as the player, take the one uh, that would be designated to the king, and the other two chairs represent the queen and the fool. And uh, the room has to be left alone until from midnight to 3.30 a.m. And these really are some of the most problematic hours of the night, for uh, the operations of, of dark forces. And so after that time, then you uh, take your place on the king's throne with a candle lit, and you stare straight ahead into the darkness, and you keep staring uh, and ask questions. And uh, supposedly you're going to get the answers to these questions, um, but you have to keep staring straight ahead or it kind of breaks the spell. And you do, do this until exactly 4.34. These rituals, they don't give any reason for these times, you know, and I think that some of them are concocted just to the way spellcasting is, you know, make it sound exotic. Um, And uh, the candle cannot uh, go out. It has to be relit if it goes out. Uh, And you absolutely cannot uh, shift your eyes. Uh, And supposedly you're going to get the answers to your questions. Um, out of all the games we've, we've talked about, um, this one is a little more benign than the others, but you've got mirrors in the room, and, and the ritual really doesn't address what, what the um, um, mirrors exactly are for. But if you have them placed, uh, and it would be understandable to think that kids might do this, if you have the mirrors placed so that they are facing into each other in any way, or even at right angles to each other, so that... Uh, you can see the other, one mirror in the other. This does create uh, kind of an unstable um, Right, you're, you're opening up, up space. You're opening it, a portal. Door. Absolutely. Uh, we are out of time, Rosemary. In the meantime, uh, The Zozo Phenomenon, your latest book with uh, co-author Darren Evans, uh, available. And again, the website, visionaryliving.com. Rosemary, speak next month. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Richard. Good night. Good night. All right. My thanks to uh, Ian and uh, Albert, uh, Jonathan Franz, all of you for listening. I'm back next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the rooftops. Move over, Aphrodite, and come home.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.